it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 35. Andrew and I are going to talk about the dividend discount models today. So we're going to have a little conversation about a formula. This is something we haven't done a whole lot of. And without any further ado, I'm going to have Andrew go ahead and start us off. Yeah, actually, I was just going to give a little intro. So me and Dave are working on something on the side, uh, still too early to really say what it is yet, but I'm excited because we're working on something big and it's something that people have asked for. Uh, I think it's one of the best things you know we've ever done, even with all these podcast episodes. So today's episode is going to be kind of derived from that. Some, some of the lessons that we'll learn here really parallel. Um, so I'm excited for this one. I also wrote an email earlier today about dividends and Obviously, I do that a lot, but uh, in a way, it was relating dividends with valuations. So this is kind of like perfect timing to take what we've been working on, take what Dave's been working on behind the scenes, and kind of give you guys a sneak peek of what's to come in the future. So Dave, why don't you start off with a dividend discount model or models that you have been looking at and kind of studying? Okay. All right. Awesome. So, well, thank you for that. So Dividend discount models, what are they? So a model is basically a formula, and we're going to talk a little bit about that formula today. And dividend discount models are one of the easiest ways to value a company that pays a dividend. And there's many ways to do valuations. There's the Benjamin Graham formula. There's a uh, discounted cash flows. Uh, dividend discount model is one of the easiest ones to do. There's actually only three inputs to it, so it's actually super simple. You don't have to have higher math skills to be able to do this. It's not you know extremely complicated. There's not lots of different variables and formulas and side things that you have to figure out. It's actually information you can gather pretty easily and put it together, and it can give you kind of a, a framework and a guideline to look at when you're trying to value a company, especially a company that pays dividends. So what this company, what this uh, model will work great for are any company that's going to pay a dividend. So whether it's going to be 
something like a REIT, which we talked about last week, whether it's going to be just a normal company like, let's say, Microsoft or somebody of that ilk, you know, anybody that pays a dividend, this will work for. What it won't work for are companies that do not pay a dividend. So, for example, Tesla, Facebook, Netflix. So notice those are really big companies. Google, none of these companies pay a dividend. So these, this particular model will not work with them. So that being said, let's talk a little bit about the formula. So the formula is also known as the Gordon Growth Formula. There was a, a professor back in the 1960s that kind of popularized it. It was actually created in the 1930s, but in the 1960s is kind of really when it kind of became kind of more popular and was utilized much more. So when, you know, when a when we buy a stock, when an investor, when we buy a stock, we expect cash flows kind of come from two areas. One is the current and the future dividend payments. The other one is to increase, is, you know, an increase in the value of the company as it's being held. So as we hold a company over the course of its lifetime, as it goes up in value, that's going to be one of the other cash flows that we're going to be. So uh, since the value of the stock is determined by the future value of the dividends, uh, the value of the dividends is its current price through infinity. Through infinity. So let's, you know, the, the math and everything I'm going to talk a little bit about as we go forward a little bit farther down here. So let's talk a little bit about the actual formula itself. So the actual formula is, I'm going to read this out to you guys, and I will put this obviously in the show notes so you'll be able to actually see this. So the value of the company is equal to the dividend per share, and that's actually going to be the future dividend, and we'll come back to that here in just a moment. And that's going to be divided by the rate of return for the equity that we expect, and it's also, and that's going to be subtracted from the annual growth rate of the dividend forever. So we're going to talk about each of these components here in just a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about you know the the, the formula and kind of, some of the expectations of it. So one of the things about this formula that you really need to know about, and this is very, very critical to calculating that and using this, this formula works awesome for companies that are in the stable growth period of their existence. So if you're looking at a company that's new, exciting, upcoming, and has these huge growth rates, it's not going to work because the way the value, the variables are constructed it, it just is not going to work. And so you're going to look at, you're really looking for companies that are going to be more mature, older, stable. Think dividend fortresses in Andrew terms or think of <laughs> dividend aristocrats or dividend kings. You know, somebody, a company that's been around for a really long time. Think Coca-Cola. Think Microsoft. Think Johnson & Johnson. Colgate. These are all awesome companies that have been around for a long time, been paying a dividend for longer than I've been alive. And, you know, they're, you know, amazing companies to invest in. And these, this model will help you get a valuation of whether the company is the intrinsic value of the company is whether it's overpriced or unpriced. And remember what Warren Buffett said, and we talked about this in the past, and I'll kind of bring this up again. When we're looking at these formulas and when we're talking about valuing a company, we're looking for an approximate value. Do not get hung up on if the stock is selling at $22 a share and your intrinsic value comes back at $18 a share, don't get hung up on that number so much. Use it as a guideline to go, okay, 
maybe it's overpriced and look deeper into the numbers to find out if you think it is overpriced or not. You know, don't get too, you know, like, ah, screw it. It's, you know, it's, it's too expensive and move on. It, it always warrants further investment into looking to whether the company is ready to go or not in whether you want to buy it or whether it is overvalued or not. And, you know, if you come up with an extremely crazy number, then that obviously is going to bear some, some other looking into it as well. So when we're looking at the stable growth rates or the stableness of the company, you know, the first thing you need to think about when you think about dividends, and this is something to keep in mind with, with the growth rate as well as the, uh, the discount rate that we're going to be looking at the growth rate the way the formula is constructed, it looks at the growth rate as something that's going to go on to infinity. So I'm just going to use a company, you know, let's say Coca-Cola. If they're paying a dividend at a certain rate over a period of time, this formula is going to act like that dividend is going to be paid at that same rate over the same period of time forever. And you and I both know that just isn't going to happen. You know, the companies like Coca-Cola, they're going to continue to raise their dividend for as long as they can. Now, whether that goes to infinity, you know, who knows that may be, but it may not be as well. And so those are things that you kind of have to keep in mind when you're looking at this and, you know, kind of thinking about how you're going to value that company. Because one of the things about valuation is you're kind of projecting a future value into the company when you invest in it. So if you find a company that is selling at a discount to whatever the stock market is saying it's valued at, you know, the price is, let's say, $40 and your intrinsic value comes up at 20 bucks. Well, you got a 50% margin of safety there. But that is not necessarily going to last forever. So as the value, you know, as the valuation and the price of the company start to merge, then that margin of safety obviously dissipates, and you know that dividend will also change over time as well. So these are all things that you need to keep in mind when you're looking at the value of the company, because what we're looking at is one period of time, and it's not going to continue forever. And so that's something that you kind of need to keep in mind as well. So you know, a growth rate that you may come up with may be you know a much more extended value. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit now about uh, a gentleman that I have learned most of this from. His name is Aswath Damodaran. And he is a professor at NYU Stern Business School. And if you've not checked him out before, you need to. The guy is amazing. He's an awesome teacher. He has so much resources out there to teach you guys about what I'm talking about as well as other things. And it's all free. Uh, he has some books that he's written, which are amazing. And he's one of those teachers that's really, really good at explaining things to even dum-dums like me that, you know, I don't have finance background. I This is not my natural calling. You know, I'm a guitar player by nature. And so for me to be able to figure this stuff out, uh, you know, I needed a lot of help. And he was able to, to help me. He has, you know, classes you can take on iTunes University. You know, and again, this is stuff is all free. So um, let's talk a little bit about how we calculate some of those variables in the formula. So the dividends per share. So you're going to be looking at a dividend per share. So let's think about that. So I'm going to pull up an example here. So let's look at Johnson & Johnson, for example. So uh, the information that I gathered here from Johnson & Johnson, uh, I looked all this up on a, a website called gurufocus.com, and it's a, it's a freemium site, if you will. They have paid uh, subscriptions that you can get that have all kinds of 
added on features. I personally don't use that, uh, but a lot of the information that I can gather is, is current. You know, you can gather and it's free. So the information that we need to gather to kind of start putting together our formula. Uh, the first one we're going to look at is the dividend per share. So the dividend per share that they paid for the last year was $3.36 a share. So that's the first variable that we need to figure out. The next variable that we need to figure out is we need to look at the growth rate. So the growth rate. So here's the story on the growth rate. There are different ways that you can find on the internet to calculate a growth rate, and they involve different numbers and variables that you want to put together. Here's the problem with doing that with this formula, is if you calculate those growth rates, those numbers are going to be higher than the number that you really need, and it's going to lead to a negative number in the uh, numerator, which will cause you, when you do your valuation, to come up with a negative valuation, and that's obviously not what we want. So... The easiest way to come up with a growth rate is and uh, is to look at the growth rate as a com- a component of the economic growth of the of the country. So a stable company is not going to, by nature, is not necessarily going to grow faster than the economy. It could, and a lot of them do. But a company that is like, let's say, Coca-Cola or Johnson and Johnson, they are not necessarily going to be growing faster than the 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 gross national product of the economy. It's not so, sorry. It's not so that, much that you're like saying that they're not going to. It's kind of being on the safe side and just saying yes. let's yeah, just be conservative exactly. and and make a conservative yeah. calculation. That way, our valuation's not way off. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. 
Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yep, exactly. That's that's a much better way of saying what I was just trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> Excuse me. So, you know... Um, Using more conservative numbers is going to give you a better a better grasp on what's going on with this. So the way that I did that is I just went online and I I typed in in Google, you know, nominal growth rate of, you know, the economy and it spit out a number at me. And so it's actually four point three six percent. And so that's the number that I use for the growth rate. So the next, you know, variable that we're going to calculate, this one is the equity rate that we're going to generate that we want to see a return on. So this one is actually a, a touch more complicated. So what we need to do for this is we are going to be using, so it's the cost of equity. So what we're looking for is the risk-free rate. We're also looking for the beta of the company. We're also looking for the market risk premium. So to try to simplify all those terms as best that I can, um, they, aren't they aren't numbers that you need to calculate. These are all things that you can find through the internet. You can either find them through the gurufocus.com or you can find them through the internet. So the risk-free rate, the simplest way to think of that is the minimum rate you would expect that you would earn on this investment, barring any growth at all. So if you invested in this company, you would expect to earn at the very least this particular number at the bare minimum. That's what you would expect to earn over the long time that you own this company. Obviously, we're all expecting to earn more of that, but this is kind of a, in essence, a discount rate. So this is a rate that you're going to look at to, you know, when I invest dollar number one, I expect to earn this much on that dollar over the long period of time. And this number is something that you can gather from my friend Oswath Damardaran. And you can go to, you just type in risk-free rate, Oswath Damardaran, and it'll spit up a chart that he calculates every single year. There's extremely complicated calculations that go into this, and it's way above me, but he does it all for us, and he does it by country. So you can look at each individual company in the world and figure out what the risk-free rate is in each particular company, country. United States happens to be 5.69%. So that's what our risk-free rate is. So if we invest dollar number one, we expect to earn at least 5.69% on that. So Can I stop your roll again? Yep. Make you lose your train of thought once again? Yep. Absolutely. So is that the same risk-free rate when they talk about like DCF valuation calculations where a lot of times it's almost like an opportunity cost or, or you're calculating yes. like the future value of money. Is that yes. that's interchangeable? Part of it, yes. Yep. That's part of it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Can we kind yep. of break that down for people a little bit more than, so you're talking about basically what you expect a company to return. So it's basically, and you can apply this to stocks uh, more so than investments, but, I'm sorry, uh, investments and, you know, more so stocks. 
it's uh, what return you expect to get from your money. So you can compare what's this particular stock to if I invested in either government bonds or something a little bit more risky. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. That I mean that that breaks it down as simply as you can. I mean it it you know it compares you know if you buy company A versus buying a you know a treasury bond it it basically breaks down that you should you know expect to earn 5.69% from stock A whereas you know you will not earn that from a treasury bond. Okay. So and we that- look at treasury bonds just for like the absolute newbie we look at treasury bonds as kind of like the most risk-free that you can get because the only way those would ever go worthless is if the government failed. So that's why we use that one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And you know, speaking of treasury bonds, that actually is one of the variables that we would plug into the cost of equity uh, formula that we're going to use. And since we're talking about that, I'll kind of segue into that. So the, the treasury bond, and there's several routes you can go. Uh, Professor Damodaran goes with a 10-year rate. I know um, Warren Buffett goes with a 30-year rate. It really kind of depends on which route you want to go. For simplicity's sake, to kind of follow along with what I've learned, I did the 10% or the 10-year. So the 10-year treasury bond, and again, this is something that you can find, excuse me, online, and you just type in 10-year treasury bond rate, and it'll spit up a number for you. And it that it varies every day and treasury bonds as andrew was saying are something that's guaranteed by the united states government and it is considered you know a a bare minimum of whatever you should make if you were going to invest so if you invest in company a if you don't make at least 2.33% you are you know basically kind of throwing your money away and because you could have easily just thrown that in a you know, 10 year treasury bond and earned that rate and not done a single thing and not had to worry about any sort of volatility, any sort of risk. This is, that's kind of where that comes in. So the market risk premium that we're discussing now, that is equal to a 10 year treasury bond rate, which is going to be 2.33%. Does that, is that pretty clear? Do you think? Yeah, perfect. Okay, awesome. So the third variable that's going to be in our cost of equity formula is going to be beta. And beta is something that Andrew and I have not talked a lot about. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not super keen on it, but it works really well for this. And really what beta is... Oh, we need to talk about beta sometime soon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Beta, beta, you know, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest and say that I have not delved really deeply into beta. What I do know about beta is it's a measure of a volatility of a company comparing it to the stock market. So the higher the number goes above a one, the in theory, the more volatile it'll be. So that's really, that's what I know about it. Andrew, if you know that's, more about it, that's please the definition. Yeah. Let's okay. stick with that for now. Cause I could go a whole episode about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So, <clears throat> So if we figure out what the, you know, if we plug all those numbers into the, the cost of equity for a company. Um, so let's take, let's take Johnson and Johnson, for example. So if we plug all those numbers in, we're going to, we're going to get a cost of equity of 7.15%. So how I'm getting that is I'm, I'm taking 5.69%. I'm adding that to 0.63, which is what the beta is according to gurufocus.com. And I'm multiplying the 0.63 by 2.33%. Doing all those calculations, I come up with a cost of equity of 7.15%. 
So then what we would do simply to figure out the cost of everything. So the first thing we're going to do before we go any farther with that. So we talked a, a few moments ago about the dividend per share. So the dividend per share for Johnson and Johnson is $3 and 36 cents a share to figure out what we need to figure out what the future of that dividend would be for next year. And to do that, we would take the growth rate, which we already talked about, which was going to be the growth rate of the gross national product of the United States. And so that rate as a conservative rate was 4.33%. So we would take that 4.33% times the 3.36 and we would come up with a future value of the dividend per share. We're going to come up with 3.7. So 3.7 is going to be our future dividend for next year. So 2018, you know, based on that growth rate, that's what we should expect as a dividend. So to figure out the value of the company, what we think it should be, we would simply take the 3.7 and divide that by 7.15% minus 4.33%. And then we would do the calculation and we would come up with a number of, it comes up to, yeah, so $119.69, is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. So the it comes out to $119.69, excuse me. So based on the current stock price of Johnson & Johnson. They're at like 133 is, Yeah, yeah 132.89 right now. So according to our calculations... <laughs> company is overpriced so that would mean that that would bear some looking into to see if we think that this is going to be something that we're going to look into so you know you can do this on any value you know any dividend paying company it's you know i hope you see that it's actually not that complicated. There are a few variables that you need to think about and you know you need to kind of work through a little bit but if you use the conservative growth rate and you look at the cost of equity and those two things you know it's it's going to be pretty simple hey you what's the best way to get started in the market download andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com you won't regret it okay so now you you broke down the formula really nicely so what are some things that we can kind of take away from this so again the obviously the value we are calculating, you want it to be as high as possible because that's going to show a stock that's valued very highly. And then you compare it to what the current price of the stock is in the market. And that's going to give you a good comparison where if you see you know, one that's much higher than the other, then that kind of signals a margin of safety. And on the flip side, it's the other way around. So obviously the numerator is dividend per share. So that one factor is going to be huge in determining this whole thing. So I think something that's something that you, you want, you want to consider is that this is very heavily dividend focused. There's not a lot of consideration into how much the company has grown so far. Um, their some of the earnings growth of the past couple of years. I don't believe that's looked at in this formula. There is an element to the price, so you're you are getting valuation in the sense that once you compare this value to the real stock price, then that's giving you kind of like a valuation 
type thing. So I think these these are all questions you want to ask, not just for the dividend discount model, but anytime you're looking at a valuation model is, okay, what are some takeaways and what are the things that the formula is calculating and what is it not calculating? So you can kind of see some strengths and weaknesses. Um, obviously, not one valuation model is perfect. Uh, our friend Jay June likes to calculate was like three or four different um, models in his spreadsheet. Everybody has their own unique take. Um, so this is obviously a fantastic tool. Um, so the dividend per share, that's going to be huge. And then the risk-free rate and the the growth rate, those, those are big factors as well. So what I kind of see from that is because that R minus G, the risk-free rate minus the expected growth, because that's in the denominator, we actually want that to be as small as possible. So you want the expected growth to be uh, much higher. So from what I'm getting at, from from what you've talked about today in this episode, um, the basically you want the GDP of the U.S. to be as high as possible, which will drive this uh, denominator as low as possible, and that's going to have a big factor into this model as well. Yes, you're correct on that. Yep. So as the economy grows, that will help with the valuations of the company. So it's a nice it's a nice way to really give you a valuation no matter what the market's doing and it kind of adjusts more to the market than some of the other valuation models might mm-hmm. because yep. you're going to have obviously stock prices are going to rise and fall you know as you get bear and bull markets through economies cycles recessions all those types of things here you're going to see Obviously, that's going to be fluctuating, but you'll also see the formula adjust as the, the expected GDP is adjusting as well. So I think it's yeah. very, very important that you are getting the right values for that GDP. So you said, was it Guru Focus or? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. Which they've featured a couple of cool guys on there before, uh, mm-hmm. speaking from experience. So it's, a, it's a cool yeah. website. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a cool website. I I really like it. I use it a lot. It's it's very user friendly and it's got so much information. It's just obscene. I mean, fin, Finviz has a lot of information as well, and we've talked you know many times about how much we like that. And it's a great stock screener. But yeah, Guru Focus. You know the the thing I like about it is they have all the different formulas and they have all the different ratios and they have you know you can look at the spreadsheets and the income statements and the cash flow statements and you can see you know just everything kind of right there at your fingertips and you know the other cool thing about it too is you know let's say you're looking at return on equity in a company and you're like well where do they get those numbers from you can just click on you know the ROE and it'll take you to their formula and this is how they got it and this is where the numbers come from and then you can take that and look at the actual 10k and go oh okay that's where that number comes oh that's where that number comes from and it just kind of helps you put all the pieces together so it's it's a great learning tool uh they've published you too right yes yeah see so they're they're covering all the cool guys it's all good <laughs> yeah all the cool guys <laughs> uh i'm not sorry go, go ahead. ahead no go ahead just as far as like the whole dividend thing goes i think it's important to understand that there's a lot of opportunity in pursuing dividend companies um 
uh, I've said this before on the podcast, but there's two different camps. There's like the dividend camp and then like the value investor camp. A lot of retirees tend to gravitate towards the dividend camp and a lot of younger guys tend to gravitate towards value. I mean, value isn't much so divided in demographics like dividends are, but there's just a lot of opportunity because there's not many people who are combining those two things together. So I talked about this on my email this morning, how Benjamin Graham, you know, obviously we've talked about him over and over again. He wrote The Intelligent Investor. He mentored Warren Buffett. Uh, when he first came out with his first book, Security Analysis, that's considered one of the, I mean, it is basically considered a textbook of value investing. It's something like seven or 800 pages. I'm um, staring at it right now um, on my on my desk here, and it's thicker than the Bible. Um, there's just a lot in there. And he talked about using dividends as part of evaluation as well. So I know he didn't really talk about it much in The Intelligent Investor, and I, I wonder if he kind of moved away from that. But it's definitely in there and he t- and he talks about using dividends as as well as using them uh, multiple to earnings and creating what you perceive a company's value to be based off of that and so I, again i wrote this in the email he he had a specific formula i'm not going to go into the nitty-gritty there but basically what it came down to was a company who is paying 100% of their earnings versus a company that didn't pay a dividend the difference there was like a 4x where the company that paid that much in dividends was was worth four times more. And what I think is important also to think about when you talk about the dividend discount model or this uh, dividend capitalization rate that Graham taught in security analysis is that why this valuation works and the mindset you have to have along with it is you're more so calculating what kind of return you're going to get as an investor more so than you are calculating like the intrinsic value if that makes sense so you're you're really factoring like personal personal gain on the investment and and including that rather than just looking at like just the business itself so it's it's adding this secondary component to looking at instead of I don't know. I, I hope that makes sense because it, it's a big takeaway. Um, but you kind of have to separate it into that kind of, I don't know, like it, it's just like, I'm just imagining like separation where you have to pull that apart and really see it that you're not just looking solely at the company, solely at the value of the company and solely as that value is growing. But you're also looking at how is this valuable to me in the sense of, I'm going to buy this as an investment. This is the cash flow it's going to give me as a dividend investor. And this is why it's a good investment for me compared to my opportunity costs, compared to what else is out there in the investment world. And just in general, how great of an investment it is. And obviously, valuation and price, all those types of things all all get wrapped up in there. But I think even if you're not primary focus on dividends. I think it's important to understand these concepts. And it's always good to have different valuation models in your tool belt, kind of in your inventory, so to say. It's 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 just smart. And you know, even if it doesn't speak to you, I think it's under it's important to understand and it can be useful at different times. So 
try to understand them and, and use them as you see fit. I agree. And that, it, you know, that's a big reason why I started looking into this particular model as well as the discounted cash flows as well as the Benjamin Graham formula because I wanted to have different ways of looking at how these things all work. And, you know, the, the Benjamin Graham formula as well as the discounted cash flows don't really take dividends into account. And so, you know, as I've, you know, read from you and from Ben Reynolds, you know, dividends have a huge impact on our investment performance in, you know, our returns. And, you know, to, you know, as you've pointed out many times, you know, when you have a return that you're earning, even if the company's not doing well, you're still getting that dividend and that's still a percentage of a return you're getting. So if the company is paying 3.2% in a dividend and the company's not earning, you know, growing that, you're still getting 3.2% in that dividend. So, I mean, that's, you know, that it's nothing to sneeze at. So, you know, that's to me why it was important for me to look at this, you know, a while back and to kind of continue to sharpen what I'm trying to do with it. Yeah, I love it. It was it was such a great breakdown. And obviously, when you start to talk about things I've talked about, it's just music to my ears. But <laughs> I mean, not even just the, the guaranteed return you're getting, but if you're reinvesting that, oh, man, like you're talking yeah. about growing your ownership and literally multiplying what kind of returns you'll get in the future as long as these companies recover and, and, you know, many of them do and you'll have growth, you know, times and years where maybe earnings don't grow. But if you're continuing to accumulate shares, then once earnings do grow again, once the economy gets booming again, now you're, you're not only is your stock price shooting up, but the total amount that you've gained is, is completely exploding and expanding like a helium in a balloon because you're holding and reinvesting these dividends. There's just so much possibility there. So, Definitely, definitely, definitely use dividends, get dividends, collect dividends, hug dividends, cuddle with dividends, and (laughs) reinvest dividends all day long. Yep, I agree. Preach on, brother. Preach on. (laughs) Is there a quieter somewhere? (laughs) Maybe, hopefully. At least least, uh, on your computer, maybe. Yeah, I'm not singing, so not going to happen. Not going to happen. Just stick to the guitar, buddy. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I only sing when they put a mic in front of me and they pay me, and even then, I turn it down. So <laughs> maybe we'll we'll spare the listeners for tonight then. Yeah, that would probably be best for everybody's benefit. All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap us up for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on the dividend discount model. I hope you find it as easy as I was hopefully able to explain it to you. If you have any questions on this at all, please don't hesitate to reach out to Andrew and I. and We'd be happy to answer your questions. And don't don't forget, go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Find some good intrinsic value. And you guys have a great week. And we'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional.
Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.